Well, good morning. Won't you join me in a word of prayer, would you please? Father, we thank you for the ways that we have been encouraged this morning through song, through remembering who you are, what you've done on our behalf, and the life that you've called us to, Lord, in your service. I pray, Lord, that Bachelor Creek will be known as a church that has a ministry of encouragement, that when the weary come in, they leave strengthened, that when the lonely come in, Lord, that they leave with a friendship, that when the hurting come in, Lord, they leave healed. We know that is possible, Lord, through your working through us as we are your hands and feet in this world. And so I pray, Father, that now as we go to your word, which encourages us, that we will learn some lessons that will help us to live in the light of your love. We thank you for your presence here today, Lord, and we welcome you to get into our hearts and our minds and conform us to a more perfect spiritual image of your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, we are in a series called The Life of Encouragement. Because we're trying to grow in this discipline that gets so much emphasis in the pages of the New Testament. And I actually asked you last week, I said, take out your phones in church and use your texting program or use the Facebook Messenger. Use something that you have on here to write a message of encouragement to somebody that you know needs to be encouraged. And I'm thankful to say that right after I issued that challenge, my phone actually started going off. And it went off even the rest of this week with other people sending messages to me of encouragement. So I thank you for that. Because here's what I know. I can use all the encouragement I can get. And I'll bet you would say the same is true of you as well. But speaking of text messages, have you ever had a text message that got miscommunicated somehow to somebody, whether it was autocorrect, maybe it was Siri didn't hear you say the right thing and sent something completely different than what you intended. Well, I'm reminded of a grandmother who decided to get on the technology bandwagon. She got her smartphone, she was all set up to text, and she kept getting these texts from her grandkids that ended with the three letters LOL. She just assumed that meant lots of love. So she decided she would start closing her text with the same thing. Now you can see where this is going, right? So she texts somebody, I heard that your mother died, LOL. I heard your son was in a wreck, LOL. See, words can often be misinterpreted, can't they? But we're going to look at a kind of encouragement today that leaves absolutely no room for misunderstanding. Now, I mentioned to you last week how the Apostle Paul was pinning from a Roman prison his letter to young Timothy, his protege in the faith, if you would. And Paul knew as he's writing this letter to Timothy that it would be some of the final correspondence he would ever write in his life because he knew that death was imminent. And I want you to listen to what Paul says in his opening remarks to Timothy, okay? We're going to pick out a certain character here in a little bit. And by the way, the character is not Timothy who we're going to look at. Listen to what he says here, 2 Timothy 1.15. Paul says, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy 
to the household of Onesiphorus. Because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Do you know why Paul was so appreciative of and encouraged by Onesiphorus? One reason. Onesiphorus showed up. And in the same way, if you and I want to be a great encouragement in the lives of people, if we want to be a tool in the hand of God, one way that we can do that is by giving people our authentic, caring presence. Here's what Paul's saying in his letter. Read between the lines. He's saying, my greatest crisis in life has showed up, and my best friends haven't. Do you sense the hurt in what he's saying? Specifically, he points out these two guys, Phygelus and Hermogenes. It's apparent that Paul was greatly disappointed that these two guys didn't show up. And you want to talk about a bummer. You get your name mentioned in the Bible once, and it's for this. All the world will know about you for centuries on hand is that you are the kind of friend who doesn't show up when a brother needs you to show up. See, the most discouraging thing to Paul is not the thought of dying. The most discouraging thing to Paul is the thought of dying alone. And we see Paul's humanity just kind of come out here in these words that he pens to Timothy, you, you feel the hurt and the honesty. Listen to what he says in 2 Timothy 4.16. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. You can see Paul's humanity here. He's not wanting to be bitter. He's not wanting to go to the grave angry. But he's really hurting that nobody showed up during his time of greatest need. Has that ever happened to you? There was a time when you were hurting, a time when you were down. And the people around you, they knew it. And yet they didn't show up. That can be one of the most hurtful things for human beings, as evidenced here by Paul in his letter to Timothy. This is one reason why Paul wanted his last days to be spent with people he knew he could count on. And the person he says, I know that I can count on most, is Timothy. He starts his letter to him with these words. Listen to how he starts it. He says, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. So here's this old warrior for Jesus, this man who's traveled countless miles, endured countless things for the sake of the gospel, and all he wants, his dying wish, the thing that would bring him the greatest joy, is to be in the presence once again with young Timothy. And then in his final remarks in the letter, here's what he says. 
2 Timothy 4.19. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. There's that name again. What was it about this little-known disciple that made such a big impression on Paul? What is it that he did? Well, in chapter 1, we remember Paul recalling Onesiphorus because he says, Onesiphorus refreshed me. Listen to it, how it reads in another translation. 2 Timothy 1.16. May the Lord show special kindness to Onesiphorus and all his family because he often visited and encouraged me. He was never ashamed of me because I was in chains. What did Onesiphorus do for Paul that was so encouraging? He showed up. Maybe he brought medicines. Maybe he brought food. Maybe he brought blankets or a fresh set of clothes. Maybe he brought Paul news of how all the churches were doing, which Paul would have been eager to hear. But the most important thing that Onesiphorus brought was Onesiphorus himself. He traveled all the way from Ephesus to Rome. Do you know what that is? That's a distance of 12 hundred miles he didn't just cross the street he crossed a whole ocean to get to his friend and i don't like particularly traveling with modern day transportation 1200 miles but i can't even fathom what 1200 miles transportation would be like in first century methods and you got to remember where paul's at he's in a prison he's being watched by big burly roman guards to make sure that Paul does not escape. To make sure that Paul meets his end with the executioner. And Paul is being held mainly because he is a Christian and an enemy of the state and declared so by Caesar himself. So maybe that's one of the reasons why Paul's friends have kind of stayed at bay. Because if they're a follower of Jesus and their leader Paul is in jail because of that, I don't want to get anywhere near there because maybe they'll arrest me. But not Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus realized that the greatest form of encouragement he could give to his friend was in the power of a caring presence. He was bound and determined to make his way to Rome to encourage a man who had done so much to encourage so many others. Let me get on a soapbox for a minute, okay? We live in a culture where everybody is supposedly connected. But where very few of us have real life-giving connections. And part of the problem is these things. Right? Because they can take over our lives to such a degree that even when we are with people, we're not really with them. We're not really present. We might be in the same room, but we're all looking at a screen, right? Just go to a mall. Go to a restaurant. Go to your own family room tonight, right? And you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. And these things are deceiving us into thinking that because we have a bunch of likes and because we have a bunch of friends, that we really have connection. Truth be told, 
all the experts would tell you that we are, this generation, the most unconnected generation in the history of our nation. Here's what Vice Admiral Vivek Murthy said. He carries a little bit of credibility because he served as the 19th Surgeon General of the United States from 2014 to 2017. I want you to listen what the most prominent medical official in our land said right before he stepped down. He says, in all of my years in medical practice, loneliness is the most common pathology I've encountered. More than heart disease or diabetes, it was loneliness. I have found that loneliness was often in the background of clinical illness, contributing to the disease and making it harder for patients to cope and heal. He calls it epidemic, friends. And I think that's why we're seeing, even in our culture right now, so many young people who have these, and they're connected to a lot of people who have these, and they're taking their lives more and more and more because they're wanting connection that can't be found here. I remember growing up, coming on the television screen was a sitcom that maybe some of you enjoyed watching. I didn't really watch a whole lot of it. This didn't interest me because I was maybe too young to appreciate some of the dialogue going on there. But it was the show Cheers. Some of you might remember Cheers. Like I said, I didn't watch a whole lot of the television show, but there was a theme song to Cheers that was very, very catchy, wasn't it? You probably got it going through your mind right now, don't you? Because that song was kind of like the anthem of the human heart. It's what we all seek in life. And here's, here's how the song goes. Making your way in the world today takes everything you got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see. Our troubles are all the same. You want to go where everybody, what? Knows your name. And if you ever watched Cheers, you know that it wasn't really about people seeking drunkenness. The whole reason that they gathered and corralled there in that bar is because they were seeking connection with other people. They were seeking presence with other people. And there's no greater gift that you can give to another human being than to be authentically present. There's no other greater need that people have. And there's nothing greater that we can give to them than to meet that need. And if you think this morning that I might just be going a little bit overboard, like, man, you're taking this whole presence thing kind of far, Solomon, okay? Let me remind you of what Jesus says is coming. Matthew 25, here's what Jesus says. See if you can find the common denominator here, okay? When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now listen to me, folks. Lots of things that we read in Scripture have already happened. We're looking in the rearview mirror. This, we're looking through the front window. It's coming. This day and time is appointed for all of us. 
Jesus says, I'll be here. I'm going to separate people, all people, not just some people. Every single human being will appear before me, and I will separate them as a shepherd separates sheep and goat. Sheep on the right, goats on the left. And here's what he will say. Notice this. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Why does he look with so much favor upon them? Why are they on the right side? Why are they the object of his delight and affection? Here's why. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to what? Visit me. Common denominator of every single one of those actions is you showed up. So there's no going overboard here. There's not making a mountain out of a molehill here when we talk about presence. Because Jesus says right here that when we, when you and I, when we show up before our king, and that day is coming, the one question that he will ask, the one question that we will be judged by, according to Matthew 25, is this. Did you show up for each other? It's impossible to miss. And I think all of us can think of a time in here in our life, when that, that person showed up and it refreshed us and it renewed us and it restored us. And some of you might even be able to say today, it rescued me when they showed up. I want to show you a picture right now of two people. The woman on your left, her name is Penny Brown. She works as an ER nurse. And one evening, she didn't have to work in the ER. Apparently, they didn't need her. They were overscheduled. So she took that night to go to her little son's little league game. She's 11 years old. She went to the game and was enjoying it with the rest of the parents when all of a sudden an emergency crisis happened to take place. Somehow, a little boy got struck in the chest with a baseball bat at full swing. He immediately dropped to his knees, fell to the ground because his heart had stopped. Penny raced over to the young man, started doing CPR, chest compressions, and got the little boy's heart beating again. Saved his life. Seven years later, Penny's at a restaurant. She's eating, enjoying the night. All of a sudden, food goes down the wrong pipe. She begins to choke. An 18-year-old waiter named Kevin Steffen sees what's happening, recognizes it, rushes over to her, performs the Heimlich. The food gets dislodged and comes up. Saved her life. And it's when the two of them sat down beginning to talk that they realized something. Kevin was that 11-year-old boy who Penny saved seven years earlier on the baseball field. She saved his life. He saved her life. 
That's how it works sometimes, friends. I show up for you and rescue you. You show up for me and you rescue me. The truth is, sometimes we don't know until years later how much our presence in someone's life really, really affected them. More so than we had ever thought. But this came home to me again just this last week when I was talking to an educator and he was telling me about an email that he received from a former student, just driving this point clearly home. I've used a different name for this student just to protect his identity, but I would like to share with you the email that he sent to his former teacher. He says, hello, my name is Jacob. And I just wanted to take a moment to reach out. As many students as you've had over the years, you probably don't remember me. You were my sixth grade teacher. And I believe that was your first year teaching. You definitely had an impact on me that year as a kid. And I just wanted to say, thanks. It's still to this day having a ripple effect on my life. Of course, at that age, you were my first male teacher, and I remember you coming out to shoot hoops with us boys at recess. With my home life not being the best at the time, you made a positive impact as I came to school each day. So with the influence of you and another teacher slash coach, I decided to go into elementary teaching world as well and have been now for 10 years. I know a lot of times of educators, we do not have the opportunity to see the fruit of our work. So I wanted to just let you know that you made a difference in my path of life, and I am thankful you were my teacher. One word makes the difference between just being a teacher and an encourager. The word presence. And don't we all have a way of remembering those people? They have a special place in our hearts. Those men, those women who showed up for us in a time of our life when the chips were really, really down. Let me share with you something now. This past 15 months or so in my life has probably been the hardest most discouraging time of my existence for a multitude of reasons. In this past spring, someone took notice. Without me even having to say a word, they took notice. Because I think we all try to cover it up at times with something that we call finitis, right? You know what finitis is? It's when you go to church and somebody asks you how you're doing and you respond with what? Fine. I'm doing fine. It's like the official church word, right? And it has cousins. Good, great, doing well, right? I mean, I'm almost convinced that in any church across the nation, you will probably hear the word fine on a given Sunday more than you hear the word Jesus. It's finitus. And there's a message that we communicate with finitis. Here's the message that we communicate. 
church is for fine people, people who are doing fine. So if you're not doing fine, just go home until you get fine and come back so that when we ask you how you're doing, you can say, I'm doing fine, so we can all be fine together, right? That's kind of how it works. But here's what I've noticed about encouragers. They have spiritual antenna. They can see past the fine shell, and they are ready to bring a dose of encouragement. In my case, my encourager contacted my wife and said, I want you to make sure Solomon is home on this day at this time. This was all unbeknownst to me. So that morning at around 10 a.m., the door knocks, and she had arranged a whole army of encouragers from this church to flood my living room to be present with, to pray for their pastor who wasn't doing so fine. That's church. Church is not a building. Church is not a sermon. Church is not a service. Church is when the people of Jesus show up for one another. Amen? That's what it is. And do you know what we feel when brothers and sisters surround us in our time of need? We feel the presence of God himself. Jesus said we would. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I'm going to be as well. And here's what I've noticed. You need a lot of courage sometimes to show up for people. Especially when there's pain involved, right? Still not easy for me to show up sometimes for people, I'll be honest with you. There's been times that as I stand on somebody's front porch, before I ring that doorbell, when I show up at a hospital room, before I knock on that door, I have to pray. God, give me courage, give me strength, because on the other side of that door, Lord, there's a lot of pain, and I'm about ready to enter headlong into it. And I don't know what to say, Lord. But I do know this. You want me to be here. So give me the courage and the strength to ring the bell, to open the door. And the reason why people are so refreshed, the reason why I'm refreshed when people come around me and the reason why people are refreshed when they come around you, friends, the reason why we're refreshed is because that pain and that burden and that load and that grief and that sorrow that we feel, others somehow manage to take that off of our shoulders and say, my shoulders are big enough. I can carry some of that for you. Now, each week, I've been issuing you, issuing you a very specific direct challenge. We said at the beginning of this series, we're going to look for extra mile moments. We're going to look for ways to bless people through encouraging them in some form or fashion. Here's what I want you to do today. This week, at some point, I want you to make it a point to spend time with someone. 
Give them your authentic, caring presence. Someone who you know might be lonely. Someone who you know might be weary. Someone who you know that might be hurting. Somebody who you know that might be afraid. Somebody who you know that might be ashamed of something they've done. Would you just allow yourself to go to them, whether it's a half hour or two hours or whether it turns into five hours, and just be Jesus for them for a little bit? Because you know, that's what Jesus did for us. He didn't send us a text from heaven saying, love you. He didn't send us an email. He didn't even send us a sermon. You know what he sent? What did he send? Himself. He came. That's why every 25th of December, we go haywire as a church because we're still baffled by the fact that God is with us in flesh and blood. That's why every time we get together, we remember his coming. We take the cup, we take the loaf, and we remember he was here. He came. And guess what? He still comes to me and you. And he's coming again. Remember what Paul said? For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do what? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Jesus is going to show up, friends. And I hope you find that very, very encouraging today. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, thank you that this is something each and every one of us can do. You don't need to pay any money. You don't need to have a special degree. You don't even have to have a special personality. Each person can give the gift of genuine, authentic, caring presence. So God, I pray that this week, you will lay on our hearts unmistakably clear the name, the face of that person in our life who's struggling, who's down, who's depressed, who's trying to cover it all with the word fine. But we know better. And Father, I pray that there will be hospital rooms and living rooms and little office complexes and cubicles that are filled with people from this church who go to them this week to be Jesus to somebody who needs to feel the presence of God. Thank you, Lord, that you came so it would be unmistakably clear how much you love us. What a great encouragement that has been. We remember that now, Lord, in a time designated to remember the fact that you came, you still come, and you're coming again. We give this time to you now, Lord, in the name of our Savior Jesus.
Amen.